0: Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I am Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, and also your host. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today on the show, we have with us Rifka Nahari, who is a professional in piano, flute, harp, dance, and voice. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. It's so nice to have you finally. I've heard about you for so long. I haven't actually gotten the honor to see you perform yet, but it's definitely on my list. So, today you live in Brooklyn, but you came from Las Vegas. So, tell us a little bit about your fascinating background. I'm sure you've talked about that a lot. Sure. Um, well, my background is.
1: Very vast. Basically, I started my ballet training when I was three years old, and I danced very seriously up until I finished high school. I even did it in college a bit. I played piano. I started playing on my own when I was seven. I taught myself to play, and I didn't actually start lessons until I was 14, and by then I was already playing harp professionally, and I started flute also when I was 13, And I started studying voice privately when I was 16, and that was at the encouragement of my choir teacher. I was in the advanced choirs in school, and I guess she heard some potential in me. So I started studying voice privately, and that became my focus for a while. I was a voice major in college at one point. I was a piano major at another point. I studied harp. I was on a harp scholarship. So I've done a lot of different things in the performing arts.
0: Wow. So tell me about your family background. Like, clearly, you had a lot of extracurricular activities because naturally, when someone goes to school when they're seven years old, that's not what they focus on. I'm sure you had some family input here and influence. Actually, I really
1: didn't. I started ballet. The real reason was because I was born with my legs completely turned in, and I even had to wear my shoes on a bar when I was a baby. And so when I started walking, the doctors encouraged my parents to put me in ballet. So that's where my dance training started. My mother used to play piano when she was a kid. So we had a piano in the house, but she never really played. So this really all came from me. My parents didn't surround me with music or with the arts or anything. They really weren't interested in any of that. It was me telling my parents, I want to play piano and I want to do this and I want to do that.
0: Wow. So you really knew at a young age, you had this calling in it. Nothing was going to stop you from getting the training you needed and the exposure. Exactly. That's so beautiful. When do things start to transition for you? So you're focusing on all these different areas that most people I know focus on one area, maybe two. You have five. How does that work and how do you transition into that next Part of your life.
1: I often wonder where I would be now if I did only focus on one thing. But and I kind of think that by spreading myself out into so many things, I didn't give as much attention to each thing as I wish I could have. But um, I think just because I was so passionate about everything that I was doing, I never slept. Like sleep was the one thing that I I always gave up on because I wanted to pursue my music and I wanted to dance full time. And so, you know, I was always busy with all these extracurricular activities. Um, The transition for me, you mean in, in terms of Yiddishkeit, right?
0: Not necessarily. That could be whatever it is for you. What would you say your first biggest transition in life was?
1: I think the first thing for me was originally my dream was to be a professional dancer. And then by the time I was 13, when I started playing harp professionally, and I started taking flute lessons, and I really had... I've been playing piano on my own from the, the age of seven and I really wanted piano lessons and I was still dancing full time and my parents told me I had to make a decision. Something had to go. I was doing too much. So at that point I decided to focus more on music than on dance and I dropped out of the youth company. And that I was dancing with. And I decided to pursue music more. So that was, I think, the first transition that I really made. But dancing was still part of my life. I dropped out of the youth company for a year and then I was right back into it. I found my a way of uh, my grandmother agreed to pay for the lessons. And, you know, it was uh, difficult to balance everything because I had so many performances and so many rehearsals. But I still managed. But that was the first transition for me, I think, was just
0: which area I was going to focus on most. And do you feel like your parents had some other aspirations for you, but you totally derailed them from that and you sort of brought them on board with what you were planning for yourself? I don't think they ever really
1: had a goal for me. They just wanted me to be happy. Being in the arts, it's never something that most parents really encourage their kids to do professionally because they you hear about all these starving artists out there. So it wasn't something I think that they were super excited about, but they were definitely proud of everything that I was doing.
0: I'm happy to hear that. I know at the age of 14, you got exposed to of the Chabad Center in Las Vegas, and that sort of pivoted your life in a major way. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Judaism is something I was always interested in, but growing up in Las Vegas, there was really no Orthodox Judaism until Chabad came. So that was my first exposure to it. So once I was introduced to that, it was the first time I ever saw an Orthodox Jew. I never knew what they looked like. I knew nothing. And so when I was first exposed to it, it was something that I just was automatically drawn to. And when I started becoming from, it wasn't something that I made a conscious decision that this is the lifestyle that I want to live now. It was more that I was always good at following rules. I was just a good girl and I was being told now this is what a Jew is supposed to do. And so I just decided to do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. And the next thing I knew, my, com- my whole life had changed and now I was living a firm life. And of course, I had the conflict with music and dancing so it, it brought about things that I never expected to have to deal with.
0: Also, growing up in Moscow, it was very common for minors to turn to Yiddishkeit, and that, of in itself, is much more challenging than someone who is an adult. You probably still lived at home, and you wanted to observe kashras mm-hmm. and Chabas. So,
1: <laughs> exactly, it was very challenging. And my mother is the the. The epitome of a stage mother so she really lived through me she would brag about me and all the things that I was doing and her big fear with me becoming from was exactly the conflict that I ended up having was I had to choose am I going to pursue music professionally or am I going to live a firm life and at the time when I became from there really were no opportunities at all for Jewish women in you know performing arts in the firm world so for my mother it was a really difficult thing to see me becoming from and she gave me a very hard time about it in the beginning. She resisted everything that I wanted to do. Wow. Yeah, I I don't
0: even know how you did that. Balancing so many lives at once, and you're a minor, and making so many important decisions that will probably affect the entire rest of your life. So (laughs) take us through the next stage of your life. So how do you transition? Ultimately, you do find a stage, you do find a space within the firm community. But let's go back to the years of search and perhaps some emptiness. There was definitely a lot of searching
1: and a lot of emptiness. When I finished high school, I actually graduated a year early with the intention of coming to New York to attend seminary for a year. And then I was going to go back to college. That was my original plan. But of course, Hashem has his own plans. And I came to New York and I ended up meeting my husband so my husband is from the complete opposite background. He grew up in B'nai Bok in a very firm family. And so when I met him, we met by chance. It wasn't like we went through a matchmaker. And from the moment I saw him, I knew he was the right one for me. But it took us so long to get engaged because he was not willing to marry an opera singer. And that's what I was doing. I was pursuing a career as an opera singer at that point. I was studying at Manus College of Music. I was a voice major. And that's what I wanted to do. So it took me a long time until I decided that in the opera world, I mean, in in performing arts in general, there are no guarantees that you'll be successful anyway. And I decided it wasn't worth losing my beshert over. And so I ended up at that point giving up my dreams of music and dancing and everything. And I got married and decided to just continue the religious life. I was a housewife and a mother for the next five years or so. And then I found myself in a really bad state of depression. And um, a friend of mine told me, you have to make your own sunshine, go take a ballet class. And so I convinced my husband to let me just go take one ballet class, just let me get it out of my system. But of course, one class was not enough. One class became two classes, became three classes. And the next thing I knew, I was back into dancing as a from woman. Um, And I was doing this very quietly i didn't let anyone in the community know that i was going and taking ballet classes i got very involved in flamenco at that point i was dancing with a flamenco company for a short time and after a while i realized that i really needed music in my life that was the thing that was really pulling me more than anything and so i got back into studying opera and eventually piano also and through all of that i kind of made a little detour and went out into the performing arts world again and then found my way back by opening my studio. My husband is the one who had the idea to open a dance studio and encouraged me to do it. And by doing that, it brought me back into the community. So I was able to finally provide opportunities for for other girls and also for myself. I've had other performing opportunities now since I have the studio and people know about me more because of the studio and I get invited to perform in different things. So it really has been a great thing to to open up doors for, for me and for the community.
0: Wow. So it really sounds like you didn't want to give up on anything because it can seem that you could have taken the safer route and said, you know what, I We'll ignore voice and dance, let me focus on the instrumental areas of my life that are halakhically less problematic, I would say, or they would be less problematic for your husband. But mm-hmm. you, it doesn't seem like you were ready to compromise. You needed all these areas in your life, just like you're sure about becoming from and your Bashar. It sounds like you have that arrow that that's pointing straight ahead, and nothing will sidetrack you.
1: I do have a lot of that, but at this point in my life, like my current state. I am focusing more on the instrumental because I see that even within the community, there are so few opportunities for classical musicians. And especially in opera, it's something that people really don't understand. They may be blown away by the size of your voice and how powerful it is, but they really don't understand what they're listening to. And so the appreciation isn't really there in the community. And so because I still feel kind of unsatiated I do pursue my instrumental avenues more at this point. So I study at Juilliard in the evening division and that we have performances with that. And whenever I have performances outside of the community, I still do that instrumentally, not with singing anymore. But so that is the kind of the, my present state right now is my focus is more on instrumental.
0: Interesting. And I read somewhere that you love performing more than you love teaching, which I identify with a lot and opening up a dance studio besides for being a business decision or a business venture it is exactly a going in the footsteps of teaching rather than performing so right how's that for you
1: well of course you know performing is something that i grew up doing so i feel like it's such a part of me that without it I feel very stifled. Teaching is, it's not that I don't enjoy teaching, I actually really do enjoy it. I love giving over what I've learned and I love seeing girls develop and I love seeing how the arts can change them. I've seen so many girls come into my studio where their their posture is terrible because they have no self-esteem and they really don't have any understanding of their bodies or some girls come into my studio who have been bullied and it's a safe space for them. So by coming there and they learn how to dance and they learn how to move, it gives them such self-confidence that it really changes them as people. I've had students come to me and tell me that their grades have improved just from learning how to dance. So there's definitely a joy in in giving over and in influencing these girls' lives in such a positive way. So I kind of I think I need both in my life at this point.
0: I hear that, I can imagine what making an impact in other people's lives can really add empowerment and value to the work you're doing, especially because you're bringing it on such a professional level into the firm community. Let's talk about your performing career because you have a very impressive stage presence. You have a very impressive education background, places you've trained, the people you've trained with, and the places you've performed. How does that happen? Did you do that on your own? Did you hire help?
1: It was all on my own. I think I'm I would call myself a truth seeker. And so when I was study with someone if I didn't feel that this was the real way of doing something, I would look for someone else until I got to really the, the top, top teachers. So it was a lot of searching and experimenting for myself until I found the right people that I feel are teaching the, the highest level of technique or of artistry. And I think that's that's just part of who I am. It's the same thing with kite. With like I was just looking for the truth. It's just who I am as a person.
0: Can we talk about some of the resources? You have a dance studio and there are a number of educational and training programs out there for from girls not sure about women. But let's talk about the market a little bit. What do you feel exists? And what do you feel like is lacking? What could you change if you can? I
1: think that since I opened my studio, we're about to start our 12th year. When I first opened the studio, this was really a brand new idea to have really, really high level training. All of my teachers are professional dancers. And now we have an acting program. So we also have professional actors that are that are training our students, and so I think it was it was a very new concept at the time. But it was also something that I was met with a lot of resistance with within the rabbinic community. I had people that were rabbinim that were calling me and telling me, "What are you doing? You're bringing something guyish into the community." So there was a there was a lot of resistance and a lot of pushing that I had to do to be accepted. Now at this time, I think there are a lot more programs out there for religious girls. And I think that there are a lot of people that are that have this same goal in mind is to give them some sort of training. I don't think it will ever be the level of training that I'm providing, at least not in Brooklyn. I'm sure there are other Chuva and other areas that are providing great things. But in my area at least, I think you you kind of have to be a Balchuva in order to be able to bring this level of training to the community because when I look at a resume, I know exactly who's good and who's not. If I interview someone, I know what I'm looking for in a good teacher. And I think that makes a huge difference. I'm not just looking for someone who's not Jewish, who has had outside training. So I think my studio is different in that sense. But I think that there's a different focus now within the community as a whole, that people are looking for something more. They don't want to just, you know, I mean, there are programs out there that they can still go and just have fun and and dance around and not really learn anything. But I think there are a lot of people who are looking for something like what I'm providing.
0: So the resistance you've mentioned earlier with the rabbis, do you feel like things have shifted and there's more acceptance now and it's more okay or do you still feel resistance?
1: In a sense, I still feel some resistance, but it's definitely not like it used to be. I used to get calls from random people just grilling me with different questions about the studio as if they are they want to send their kid to my studio. And I, I could see through their questions that they were just checking me out. It wasn't something they were really interested in, in a service that, they, that I was providing. They just wanted to know what it was that I was doing. And I understand the concern, especially when you're bringing something that's really professional and it's coming from outside of the community but i think now people have gotten to know me and what i do and they've seen that it's not inappropriate whatever performances i'm doing i'm you know they're only for women and i doctor everything up to make it as kosher as possible the costumes are as sneistic as i can get them so i think that in that sense there's more acceptance within the community but also because there are so many more performing arts programs i think the Rabunam have relaxed a little bit and they've seen that it's not such a bad thing for kids to learn how to dance and to to move. As long as it's being done within a kosher environment and they're still keeping their tineas and still keeping Shabbos and all of these things that I had all these issues with when I was growing up, they don't have those kind of issues within the from community. So I think that they've started to accept a little bit more Certain things. Certain things we still have resistance with, like with hip hop and with breakdancing. In the beginning, when I wanted to advertise with different papers, they would tell me, oh, you can't use the word hip hop. That's too guyish. You have to say freestyle. And I was very against that because I like to call it what it is. It's not freestyle. It's hip hop. And so I started to see that there are certain papers that are accepting and I can advertise with them and other papers that I just can't.
0: Mm hmm. And do you feel like there's anything you have to compromise on because you're catering to a more conservative community?
1: I don't really feel that way. The instructors that I, that I hire are told what they can wear. We use only instrumental music and the only thing that bothers me a little bit is how much i have to doctor things like if we're doing a play i have to really make sure that every line of the play is kosher and will be accepted by the community and that there aren't any things that are going to be offensive in it that's the only thing that i feel is a little a little difficult to maneuver but everything else i think i think is much easier and this is part of why i decided to open a dance studio as opposed to pursuing something more in the musical field within the community because I felt that you can take a dance piece and you can put a Jewish theme to it and it's a Jewish piece now but you can't make Chopin Jewish no matter how hard you try so I felt that it would be easier to incorporate that into the community and when I first started doing the studio every show that I did had a Jewish theme. There were Jewish stories. At this point, I've seen that there are so many other groups that are performing Broadway plays and it's, it's very popular within the community. So I've, I've veered away from only Jewish things, but I still have to make it as appropriate as I can.
0: Fascinating. So I like to talk about this with all our guests on the show. And I know your your portfolio is very diversified, but it seems like you are making a parnasa, you are supporting yourself from your performing arts or your business in the arts, where would you say the bulk of your business comes from? Is it the performing arts? Is it the dance school?
1: To be perfectly honest, it's my husband. (laughs) He's the one who supports me. I am not making anything in the arts. And the studio has, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it may seem like that from the outside because I do so many things, but I'm not performing enough to make a Parnassa from it. So the musical side of it, I'm definitely not making Parnassa from. Um, and f- for the studio, it's been a really hard struggle. People don't realize how much it costs to put together a professional performance. And last year we moved into a storefront. So now we have all the, the other expenses. Before that, it was in my basement. It was in my basement for 10 years. So at that point, you know, I was making something from it, but it was being generated back into the studio was going towards the performances and going towards their unofficial scholarships that I've offered to students. So that's where that money went. Now there's absolutely no money. So it's been a real struggle having the storefront. I would say the only Parnassa that I actually make from music is teaching. So this is where the only thing that I would say I would be able to support myself
0: with. Wow, I feel choked up here. (laughs) Seems like at least to me that you you got it all figured out and this is how you're supporting yourself and then hearing you say how this is a complete passion, how you're putting everything into this and your husband's the one supporting you through this, it brings out emotions for me and it might for our listeners out there also because either there's no formula or straight up, it's not about your training, it's not about your product maybe, it's about maybe your position in the community if you're well known, and you are a standing, and I'm not saying you're not a standing member of your community. But if you come from strong ties within a community, and you like I moved around so many times, I haven't lived in one place for too long, or where I have tons of family to say, hey, I'm sure other people could compare. But I'm saying if you have that base, and then you just say, look, now I'm doing this, and then people start coming to you,
1: you're exactly right. You really hit the the nail on the head. It's exactly that's exactly the problem. And my husband always tells me that I'm I'm too insular. I'm in my own little bubble and nobody in the community really knows me. And again, this is part of who I am. I think when you grow up as a classical musician and you're used to locking yourself in a cubicle and just practicing for hours, you lack social skills. It's it's a well-known thing that classical musicians tend to be a little awkward. So I'm I'm very in my own world. And I focus a lot on just what I'm doing and the, you know, producing the best product that I can produce. And so I'm not out there enough in the community. And I I know that this has hurt me as an artist, that I don't have as many opportunities as some people who have had less training and less experience and maybe are not on as high of a level. There are people who have much more successful programs. And it's just because the community gravitates towards that. Like they, they either know them, they know the name, or it's more of a social thing. It's cool to go to this program. And I tend to attract a different crowd. And I've seen that over the years. Like I said, the the type of Of girls that I attract are the more reserved kind, the shy ones, the ones who are doing this for themselves because they need it as an outlet. So also within the the students that I have, I don't have girls that are going out and handing out flyers for me and, and telling everybody, oh, come join. This is a great program. You know, we're having lots of fun with all our friends. It's not that type of program. The girls that come to my studio are there to learn. And so I think that also makes me have less students and it's less popular in that sense. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: One of the things that I've noticed is that it seems that the community, and when I say the community, I'm not talking about those that are coming to take classes. I'm talking about the audience members. This is really where I've struggled the most when I put on these big performances at the end of of the year for all my students. It's not just a student performance. I have professionals that come and perform also, but I think because the community is uneducated in the arts and they don't really know the difference between a high level of art and a, a lower level of art. So they, they lack the appreciation and it's there's less of a demand for high quality, I think. So because they don't know the difference, um, I don't attract a huge audience either. You know, I think like they they gravitate towards the very, very firm performances because they know the name and there's somebody who's grown up in their community. And so whether the performances are really high level art or not is irrelevant to them. So that's another thing that I've really struggled with.
0: It's hard to say, it's hard to talk about this openly because I don't want anyone to feel like We're criticizing their level of art, which I feel like is definitely coming across in this episode, and that's not what I (laughs) want it to be at all. I'm sorry. What I'm trying to say is that the focus in the community or the part that's appreciated the most is the marketing, which is the social in thing to do, or the person running the program has a big name and they've marketed their brand name, meaning that's more important than where the teachers studied or got trained, for example. Exactly. I am curious, and I guess we'll end with that. You said you married someone from Bnei and I'm sure there's a lot more differences in your backgrounds. I'm just wondering: Do you have a relationship with your in-law family? Do they accept you, or are you like a totally <laughs> different breed, and they just you know take you for what you are and don't really question <laughs> you? What What's your what has your experience been? Because for many Bali Chuva out there, they marry people of a similar background of where they both don't have from families. But here you married, it seems like you married into a from family. Could you talk about that? Sure. Um, so when... when- I first met my husband and he told his family
1: about me. Again, we met in New York and his family's all in Israel. So when I when they first heard about me, I think they were a little nervous because I'm a Baal Shuvah and I, I'm i from Las Vegas. I mean, of all places, <laughs> it's like a real complete opposite background. But once they met me, they, they loved me and they saw that I've really completely given up my other life and I've completely dedicated myself to Yiddishkeit. And that completely like turn things around for them. So they're very accepting of me. I think they enjoy that I that I'm performing. And they're very accepting. I have a very good relationship with them.
0: Well, that's so beautiful. I I love stories I like this. It's beautiful that they accept you the way you are. It's beautiful that they see the beauty in it. And because of all places, Bnei Brak is one of the more insular communities, even though I'm sure there are lots of people living in different places in Israel who would say, Bnei Brak is so modern, just check out the other places. But uh, it's pretty <laughs> insular, and we have to celebrate the moments of where there is acceptance and where there is love and where there is room for where where the true beauty of Judaism shines. And, mm-hmm.
1: and for my, my husband is Yemenite. And my, my mother-in-law actually calls me, Tamani olavana. she calls me a white Yemenite because <laughs> I'm very fair-skinned, but I'm very into the whole Yemenite culture. I love the, uh, the traditions and I love the way that they daven and the way that they lay Torah. It just, it, to me, I feel so at home in the Yemenite community. So they definitely beyond accepted me because I more than accepted them.
0: Wow. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the show taking time out of your busy life to talk to us. And we really wish you lots of hatslacha, lots of success. We didn't talk about the future or your aspirations, but if there are any closing remarks that you have.
1: The future is just to keep doing what I'm doing. And I, I hope that I will see more opportunities for performances for the community, I hope there's going to be more appreciation for for the arts and more demand for things, especially within the classical field. I feel like that's really lacking and I would love to see that change.
0: My heart's with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Francisca Show fans, thanks again for coming back and listening in to these incredible stories of the artists. I'd like to share some exciting news We have a new segment coming out soon in the next month or two. We will be doing special episodes on a very dark topic. This will actually be much broader. We will be sharing the stories of survivors of abuse in the Jewish community, really providing a platform to share their stories in a safe place, that same environment that we do provide for our female artists and entrepreneurs on this podcast. They are very opposite topics. However, both of these topics, I feel very passionate about them. There are other topics as well, and I'm hoping to branch out into those topics as well. But I think this is a beautiful way to segue into opening up this platform to more stories. I'd love to hear what you think. I always love hearing from you. My email is FranciscaK at gmail.com. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-S-K-A-K-A-Y at gmail.com. And as always, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show. And if you aren't on iTunes, go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. This helps us tremendously. It helps new people find the show thanks to your reviews. So thank you so much for being such an integral part of growing this show. See you next time.